Sweet. Got it. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Grayson, oh, for, for coming having on. Me, man. Yeah, of course. Um, I am super excited to talk about getting weird in strength and your experience with uh, functional range conditioning, flexibility, and um, yeah, getting stronger. I Since we started working together, like I think the biggest shift in my strength happened when we met and you had me start doing these like super weird unweighted or <laughs> unevenly weighted workouts, Atlas stone stuff, started getting into Olympic lifting. Um, and I still do my cars every morning, actually. My man. So yeah. Um, Excellent so if you, student. <laughs> <laughs> if you, uh, if you could introduce yourself, um, and then we can get going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my name is Grayson Strange. Um, I am one of the owners of Basis Health and Performance New York. Um, you know, I'm into all things strength and mobility. And as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm very close to 40 now. I have a much bigger mindset on longevity and feeling good as, as opposed to just trying to be as strong as possible. You know, I want to be able to play with my kids and do all that stuff as I get older because it's weird approaching 40. Not that I feel like I'm that age, but, um, you know, my background, like I, uh, I've always been into strength training. I think for a really long time in my younger years, it was very ego driven. Like I was just a skinny little kid and I wanted to be like strong so I could be tough. You know, I got picked on in my neighborhood and stuff like that. Um, and you know, a lot for a long time I did just was like lift weights. This is as straightforward as it needs to be. When I was 14, I started bench pressing because that's what dudes do. You bench press and you do curls and I never worked out my legs. And I was very, uh, non-athletic. I skateboarded, you know, a pothead skateboarder, I would, I would describe myself as a young kid who liked to also lift weights, but like no aspirations of playing sports or any of that stuff. I was always really intimidated by that. And, you know, now looking back, I, I wish I did that stuff, but, um, I was a competitive cheerleader in college randomly, oh, and it nice. was not because of the like sports at all. Right. It was like, I would totally miss what was happening in the game, but I just wanted to throw chicks in the air. Cause that was really fun. It was really appealed to the, the weightlifting side of me. Um, and then I was a cheerleader for the Denver nuggets for a while. So I actually was no like, way. technically I was a paid cheerleader for a little while, a couple of years. Um, and that, that's kind of what led me down the road of like CrossFit and getting into Olympic weightlifting and all that. And then it's really just since then we've owned a couple gyms, we had a CrossFit gym, got burnt out on CrossFit, got into Olympic weightlifting, did that for a long time. But you know, like finding functional range conditioning was really just a lot of years of just training with the only mindset of more weight more volume, more soreness is, is good. And just kind of totally. feeling worse and worse. And, you know, in my late twenties, I was the strongest I'd ever been. And also felt like the most shit that I'd ever felt. So yeah, <laughs> yeah totally led me to this point. Um, yeah, I think that's nice. It. And so, uh, so a couple of things, did you, yeah. can you just describe what functional range conditioning is? Yes. How much time you got, buddy? No, got um, a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, essentially Functional range conditioning, if I were to just summarize it very generally, is it's, it's a system that can, one, help us assess our current capacity, like looking at training, like I want to get stronger, I want to start running, whatever that is, it gives us a really straightforward system to look at what is your body capable of doing right now that's going to be beneficial to train, right? Like these are things that your body is going to be happy doing that aren't going to cause problems, and it also shows us areas where you may not have, you know, a knee that functions like a knee. So running might be a problem. So it's really just an effective way of assessing our current capacities and then picking what we're going to do to train to get better. And then we have all these tools within functional range conditioning that we use to make a joint work better. You know, like a, a shoulder has some really important functions that it does like internal and external rotation are kind of fundamental shoulder movements. It's an indication of health in the joint and how much stuff your shoulder is going to be able to do. And if you don't have those components, it lets us train to get those. So we can, you know, continue to train concurrently, like what is going to be good for your body. And then we can keep working on those areas that need more it just gives us this really effective way of making progress, not having those constant setbacks where like, I want to do pull-ups, but every once in a while I do a pull-up and now my shoulder hurts and then I can't train pull-ups for right. six months. You know, it's more so like, do you even have a shoulder that should be training pull-ups? Cause there's lots of ways to train pulling strength that aren't going to hurt your shoulder. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the general 
bird's eye view of functional range conditioning. But the, you know, probably the coolest thing about it is that it helps us determine what's where we need to get better at stuff. And it gives us ways to do that really, really easily. Um, but just for progressing training in general, it really gives you a tool set where you can like, you can train to do whatever you want to do. And it really opens up infinite possibilities for that. Like there's so much bullshit out there about this is good for your back. Do these three exercises to fix your back. This is bad for your knees. It really comes down to from a functional range conditioning perspective is like, there's no bad movements. There's only untrained tissue and bodies, right? So it just really gives us a way that we can train for whatever the demands we want to apply to our body and make it where it's actually just not going to wear us out over time. And so the mechanism that that happens, like this recovery process happens through, would you call that like, because before we met, uh, I always get people give me shit in the gym every day when I do my cars. So it's like, it looks like I'm doing a ballet warm up. Um, totally. and doing like my intense cat cows and like pulling the, the floor apart and like shaking erratically. Um, yes. <laughs> but I don't, I've never like, I can't remember the last time I've just like passively touched my toes to warm up. And so would you consider FRC can stretch to be a active flexibility exercise or is this like is this not even in the flexibility category this is just like joint rehabilitation like a more of a pt yeah uh it's 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 all of those things right mm-hmm. so i mean we have our our tissue and our bodies have certain components like we have passive flexibility and we have active mobility and those are two big terms that we talk about a lot in frc and hamstrings are a great example like say i can't touch my toes well as far as I can bend over and reach on the floor to touch my toes, that would essentially be my active mobility in that position. That's as far as I can contract my tissue around those joints to pull me into that position. If you could walk behind me though, and you started pushing me forward for sure, I'm going to be able to go further. I might, that might be the thing that makes me touch my toes. So that's my, my passive flexibility. So our tissue has a passive and an active component and depending on what's lacking, we can improve both of those because in reality, like the passive flexibility component, you need to have that. If you want to train that particular tissue, like I need to be able to get my joint into that position, even if I need to do that with some help or relying on gravity or whatever that is. But if that's the only part that I focus on, all that means is that I only get better at that passive component. I only get better at having that external force applied to push me into that position, Mm. which isn't really great as far as being able to use that position, because if I can only passively get there, that tissue doesn't generate force there. It doesn't absorb force. It's essentially just making it easier for me to get into a position where I can't do shit. Mm. So if we want to make the most, you know, efficient use of that position, then we start training it after we can get there passively. We train using isometrics, Um, lots of different movement components there where we're loading the tissue because that's really what elicits change in our bodies. Just like somebody wants to get better at bench pressing, they got to generally bench press to get better at bench press. And we all kind of understand this in the strength world, you get stronger by lifting weights. The way that we make a joint have more range of motion and more strength through that range is by loading it. So there's a huge amount of work involved, which is just like when you're doing your, you know, your cat cow stuff and you're trying to spread the floor apart and you're shaking, it's because you're loading that tissue in its end range, which untrained is it's, is your weakest position. You know, we have this, all of our joints kind of operate under this bell curve of the mid range of that joint is the strongest. And the further I get into those end ranges, the less strength I can, I can develop the less force absorption I have. And at some point I can just can't do anything at that point. So when we train with this isometric work in these end range positions, we build up our capacity in those end ranges. So now I don't have just mid-range strength i have strength through all of the positions that i can put that joint in which you know one it makes your joint function better right like a hip that has better rotation and more strength through that rotation is a healthier hip because i have space inside the capsule but it's also a hip that does way more stuff and is stronger so you know the cool thing about this is using these principles to make your joint healthier as a side effect you get stronger without Mm. actually having to lift more weights like my squat strength has gone up more I mean, the longer you work out, right, the less progress you make. That's just the nature of training. But in my later years of training where I progress was progress was a lot more stagnant, I made a huge amount of progress, not by lifting weights more often, but by just improving the capacity of my joints in that regard, like a, a better functioning hip gave me a big squat PR. 
just because more hip means anything you do with your hip is better now. That's awesome. Yeah. You post a lot of like, you haven't done this exercise in months and then you just PR the lift, but you're doing like FRC can stretch. And then I would say, would you call it like supplemental lifts, like the Zercher squats, right? Where you're like, or the Anderson squats where you're getting underneath and like just squatting at your end range at the bottom. Is that correct? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, uh, the whole idea of like, I mean, in my, I've all, I've, I've, I've basically been at war with my ego since I started lifting, you know, where my ego like wants me to do X more, more is always better. Right. And so Mm -hmm. with that mindset of training, I've just run into walls a lot where I just keep pushing the numbers, trying to squat five pounds more every week and all that stuff. And at some point that just doesn't work. Right. Like you're going to, once you meet the capacity of those joints and the tissue, that's what makes those lifts happen. More squatting is not the thing to fix that. So this is, you know, FR, using FRC is definitely like a, a really drastic change from what's out in the mainstream. But that idea of like, okay, I, I want to get better at a squat. Well, if I make my ankle dorsiflexion stronger, like I can get my knees further over my toes and I'm stronger in that position, my knee flexion gets stronger. That means just by training those components, all of a sudden I can develop more strength in the bottom of a squat. And my squat strength has gone up because of that. Because generally for us, untrained, from a joint specific standpoint, like the bottom of the squat is the weakest position. And when you're just moving through squats, we're not spending a lot of time in that weakest position since what makes cells change and adapt is time under tension. You know, the more time and tension we spend in those weaker areas, just the more progress we're going to make overall. And that doesn't mean necessarily more volume or more frequency of squatting. It's just more focused on those, on those areas. So, you know, like as far as like, like, joint specific. Yes. We use isometrics to train those positions, but you can apply those principles to a whole position. Like say my squat, my hips are dialed in where I need them. My knees are my ankles. Well, now I can start applying those principles to training patterns, like a squat position versus just training my knee flexion specifically. So like Anderson squats, where you're just pushing into a bar in the bottom of your squat that you can't move. That's a really effective isometric way to train squat position and build capacity for your whole body in that position. Um, but yeah, also just, you know, you just do this stuff like, like Olympic weightlifting, as you know, is such a technical thing. And prior to FRC, whenever I took time off weightlifting, I would start it again, just be like, fuck, like I can't snatch like 50% of what I could snatch the last time I was snatching regularly. And I always feel like I was starting from scratch when reality, what was happening was that I just barely had enough mobility to do Olympic weightlifting anyway, probably not even enough for some things like an overhead squat. And just not overhead squatting was enough removal of that stimulus. My body was like, cool, we don't need to go into this position anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I would be starting again, not, ha- not even being able to get the bar overhead when I would squat versus now maintaining all of that stuff using that functional range conditioning. It's like I can snatch kind of willy nilly every few months and I'm right. just where I left off because I'm utilizing more of that, those positions and tissue that would normally go away. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, cool. I had this similar, actually don't really know how, I had a weird mindset uh, up until a couple of years ago about like lifting weights and strength. I thought lifting weights, I took like the George St. Pierre approach. Uh, oh yeah. It's like lifting weights was a waste of time. I'm just going to do body weight, like in a, in gymnastics and, and well, I wouldn't call it gymnastics. It's like, like body weight stuff. Yeah. Body weight stuff. Um, <laughs> But then I listened to a podcast with Pavel Tetsulin and Joe yeah. Rogan, and he was like oh, explaining, was to that yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, strength is a skill. It's not like you're not, you shouldn't be going to failure. Like you're, you're developing a skill set. And I was like, I don't really know what that means. And then I started Olympic weightlifting and I really understood because it's like, you shouldn't be sore after every single session you're just developing it's so much like my uneducated opinion is it's like so much skill centric with like neurological recruitment of what you need to do and so it's like okay I can squat I don't know like 130 kilos for five but then in four or five weeks or two cycles I can get that up to like 150 for five but I'm still not 
I'm, I'm the same soreness, assuming I don't have any injuries. Right. So it's like, yeah. but I didn't get bigger. Right. It's just like internally my cells are like, yep, we can go more. We can go more. And so I was like, Oh, wow. That's because I'd never stuck to a training program long enough to like see that jump in yeah. numbers. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, really like, there's just a lot of, a lot of bad advice out there. I mean, in, in general, I think the, the default is like, you have issues with your squat. You've got to squat more. You have issues mm. with, you can't do a push up. Well, just do more push ups, Right. Like, right. There is some truth to that. We do have to try those things with enough stimulus that our body has to get is kind of convinced that it needs to get better at it. But there's so many other ways to do that that are more effective in my experience now, you know, like I, mean, totally. I think about all the time I spent just wanting to hit a 400 pound back squat and just hammering away at squats. But like, I didn't have a hip that functioned like a hip. No amount of squatting is going to make a hip healthier, right? Like totally strength is without a doubt a skill. And in reality, what you can think about is like everything that we do to some degree is a skill, like just being able to reach my arm overhead and generate force there. Like if I don't have a shoulder that can do that, practicing the skill over and over again, like there's a lot of talk about handstands. Like if you don't have a healthy shoulder, practicing handstands is going to be a really slow, painful process. You could approach it instead, like make your shoulder have enough requisite motion to do a handstand and make sure that that's strong and then start doing handstands. And it's a really, really drastic difference. And you have to spend way less time doing it to get better at the handstand. Like that was another big thing for me doing this is that as I improved my joint function and my end range strength, I've had to train far less than whatever I thought was possible to make progress. You know, now, I mean, with kids and the business and all that, like I strength train 90 minutes, three days a week, and I'm making more progress than when I was strength training six days a week for two hours. You know, it's a really wow. drastic improvement. So like, I feel way less beat up. I feel a lot more capable and fresh when I go to train and I'm still making progress and just, you know, generally feeling good. Like you talk about the soreness component. Um, what I thought soreness was more so was like when I deadlift heavy, my low back is sore because my spine's resisting going into mm. flexion. So of course those muscles are going to get sore. When in reality, a lot of that soreness that I was experiencing was just like, I was literally like maxing out my spine erectors, like for my spine to hold a neutral position under a max load of deadlifting, that was like, it's very limit. So I got really, really sore there. Now, as I've increased my spine mobility, I have way better flexion and extension, and I'm a lot stronger in those positions. I can pull my one rep max deadlift. And the next day I'm very, very, very minor soreness, you know, something that's just a really different feeling, which is, is cool. I get more like, uh, uh, what's it called? What's the, your nervous, like CNS. I get like, Oh, like CNS fatigue. Yeah. I get CNS fatigue more than my muscles hurt. I mean, so yeah, of course, sometimes if I'm just one rep maxing my back squat, like I'm going to be sore, but more so I have a CNS tank and I'm like depressed for three days. (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like you, you know, getting into FRC stuff, like if you, if you see any of it, like you watch a kin stretch class and they usually just get weird looks because people are like, why the fuck are you making that horrible face? Like you look Mm -hmm. like you're barely lifting your leg off the ground a quarter of an inch, right? Like our bodies don't really differentiate what's happening per se. Like if I'm doing a max deadlift or I'm like grabbing onto something and pulling against it as hard as I can, and it's not moving, or I'm trying to pull my hip into a little bit more flexion in that very end range. Like it's all force and it's all nervous system recruitment. doesn't really know the difference. So you could smoke yourself from deadlifting heavy, but you can also just do like, just try to do this max effort hip flexion for 15 seconds. And it will also be fatiguing just like a deadlift. I mean, some of the time that stuff feels worse than the actual lifting. I, right, I laugh, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. To- <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, um Oh, you know, go ahead. I want one other thing I was going to say, you know, yeah. the other, like you're talking about like on the site, like a, doing a strength cycle and, um, and like feeling sore throughout or like finishing that cycle and being like, damn, I can, I can rep out the same reps now with 15 more kilos on the bar. What's really interesting about that stuff is like our body is such a good adaptation machine that over, say you do a cycle of a strength training block for like two months in that two months, you probably didn't build a lot of muscle fiber Right. biology just takes longer than that, right? Like almost all of that stuff at the end, like you PR your squats for reps or whatever at the end of it is like your nervous system 
just got better at recruiting more muscle fiber, um, which is same for strength training, same for making a joint work better. All of those principles are really, really the same. It's like neurological adaptation happens. And then as that continues to happen, those new cells coming in do come in as better cells, more collagen fiber, they do more work, but usually immediately the most immediate response is just the neurological adaptation. Totally. So what, what does it like, what does it mean to you to be strong? Like if you see some, yeah, like that's a big question, but you see someone or you have a client and you're like that, that person is objectively strong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say that my definition of strength has changed really drastically, especially just implementing all this FRC stuff later, you know, like in, in my mind, initially what strength was, was like, do you have big muscles? Mm -hmm. Yes or no. Right. Simple. And then it was like, can you, can you lift big weights? Do you have a big bench press? Okay, cool. You're strong. I mean, of course that does. Yes. That means you're strong. But to me, um, being strong now is a much more, I don't know, like broader encompassing term for like, yes, being strong, being able to lift things that are heavy, but also just being really capable in the sense of like getting into very demanding positions. Like, okay, you have a big deadlift, but can you pick something up that's below your feet and be really strong down there? You know, like, um, can your, can your back tolerate being completely flexed without blowing up? Because for me, like I had a, you know, a big deadlift, but I could also hurt my back tying my shoe too fast. Like if I bent over too fast. So like, right. Right. Yes. I was strong, but in some very, very specific positions and outside of those, I was really weak and fragile. So, you know, to me, like being strong requires a lot more of that stuff. Like, can you be strong on a deadlift, but can you also be strong in a really weird twisted position, picking something up? Like there's, there's a lot of resilience that goes into my definition of strength now. Like I want to see that you can be strong in really classic ways and also some really do some really weird shit without hurting yourself. Like that to me is a, that's a better definition of strength. So how do you, I don't think anyone talks, I, I don't think anyone's program. Like I came to you and I just want to be, you know, Grayson, I just want to be strong as shit. Like just make <laughs> me strong. Like you, yeah. you would build, build me a program that made me do, we did weird stuff to you. I was doing like 150 pound Atlas stone lifts on the shoulder, plus like a 70 pound, uh, uh, farmer carry on one arm and walking. Right. That's, that's, that's weird. Sweet. Yeah. And, no, yeah and, and it's awesome. And, but no one's gonna, you, you go to any, you go to 99.9% of gyms. No one's going to optimize for that. Um, yeah. how do you, for someone that wants, I mean, I would just say work with you, but like, for someone yeah, that sure, wants <laughs> to fulfill that definition of strength, what, what, what's like the framework that you build this on in terms of, um, cause I know it's going to be kind of stretch identifying where your limitations are, some traditional strength work. So like, how would you approach a program? Yeah, like that? no, that's a good question. I mean, you know, if, uh, always the first step is an assessment. Like most of the, the clients that I have come to me not just because they want to get stronger, but a lot of it is just like, you know, my back like hurts all the time. Like every time I drive in the car for three hours, Mm -hmm. I get out and my back hurts like shit. And then like, I'm afraid to work out. Like that's usually where this stuff starts. Granted, I do get people who feel really good and they just want to change up the strength stuff that they're doing. But regardless of whether you're coming with my back hurts when I drive, or I want to, you know, get a bigger deadlift or whatever, like an assessment tells me exactly what we're going to be able to train right now and then what areas we really need to fix because say you want to have a big deadlift but you have a hip that really is lacking some important functions like cool i want you to deadlift i will get you to deadlift but right now a lot of our energy is going to go into rebuilding that hip and if you want to do strength training we're going to find some ways that we can do strength training that are going to be less of a demand on that hip like you know Mm -hmm. a simple example and again, totally comes down to the assessment was like, somebody wants to squat, but every time they squat, they hurt their back or they get a back spasm or their back just feels like shit. Well, squatting is obviously not the right thing to be doing, but I understand that you want to train your legs. So we generally will find ways that we can train using less demanding ranges of motion because you can push a sled. That's a much smaller amount of hip and knee movement. But a lot of the time that's a really good alternative to squatting. So we can, like I was Mm. saying earlier, like this is how we could continue to do some strength training stuff and get that 
that desirable strength stimulus while we're still improving your hip function. Uh, and then a lot of it just comes down to like, what are your goals? You know, like, as you know, like throwing a big, heavy Atlas stone on one shoulder and then bending down to go pick up a heavy weight and do like a suitcase carry with it in this uneven carry that puts quite a bit of demand on your spine, lateral flexion. And I mean, all, you know, it's like really weird stuff. So if somebody wants to do that we, and they didn't have the capacity for that, like maybe they have a really stiff spine that doesn't move a lot. You know, we would focus on building up that capacity before we just throw them in and just say, okay, well, let's just do that uneven carry. We'll just keep the weights lighter. Right. Like that's not right. That is an approach, but it's definitely not an effective approach versus like, okay, we'll do uneven carries down the road. Right now we're going to load all of those pieces that will make your spine more resilient for that. And it's going to be strength training. It's not going to be as sexy as carrying something perhaps, but you know, we have yeah. this, this balance of both. Yeah. They want the, they want the, the Instagram story. They don't want it the work, you know, and well, totally, man. I mean, you know, I, I'm guilty of that. Who, like half the shit who I doesn't, on Instagram I, yeah, who like, doesn't yeah. what I did today. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But these things are so, you really have to go, I mean, like anything that's worth it, like you have to go into it with this, like, I'm going to do this on 80 mindset, because if I want to squat 500 pounds, but I have a blown knee or a hip, it's like, well, we, we have to focus on getting that there. Then we can start squatting. You might not squat for two years, but you're working, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Um, you know, granted it's, it's, it is really hard. Like this is the, the constant struggle is that like what gets pushed out there is the cool, sexy stuff. Like everybody wants to see some sweaty jacked dude or lady busting out like battle ropes and burpees and all kinds of cool shit like that. And everybody's like, this is what I need to do to be healthy. Yeah. I mean, even just the, the mindset of like, you see some jacked lean person with muscles and you're like, fuck, that's like a healthy person. I want to be like right. that. And in reality, that has nothing to do with their health. And in most cases, a lot of health was sacrificed to get to that point, right? Like, I mean, I think just this idea of like adopting a mindset of focusing on different stuff, like, okay, you want to be lean, you want to be strong, you want to lift weights and you want to feel good. Let's focus on the feel good stuff and we'll progress appropriately mm. like we'll progress those things as your body adapts and has those prerequisites to do that and the cool thing about doing it that way well maybe initially it's like a definitely a mental shift as far as what you're focusing on but if you really focus on those goals as a side effect you do get stronger you get bigger muscles you can get leaner you know like we get your nutrition dialed we get you sleeping like you should sleep and we get you doing a reasonable reasonable amount of exercise one that's good for your current capacities and then we're improving those capacities that you don't have and you're recovering from it we're not just blowing you out and putting you through these bloodbath workouts all the time like you're going to get those results as a side effect and it's 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 just a more reasonable thing to focus on because you feel better you know like i think totally. about all the years i just focused on like i just need to bench press this number i need to be able to squat this number when you focus just on those, you, you end up sacrificing a lot and you're missing a lot of that component. And totally. it's easy to do that when you're young, but you start to get older, you know, like my, my, the way my body feels granted, I feel better now. Cause I do a lot, I just do better stuff, but like, it was a really big change in my, what I thought I could feel like, you know, like getting into my twenties is like, I feel like shit. Like my knees hurt. Like after I squat, every time I go up and down the stairs, my fucking knees hurt. Every time I deadlift, my back hurts. I can blow my back out from a sneeze the wrong way. You know, like, how is this happening? Like I work out all the time. Yeah. You know, it's weird. No, totally. It's a weird thing. It's, it's happening to me too. Like I tore, tore my, when, before we met, I tore my MCL. And oh, yeah. now I've been squatting a lot. And recently it just, it was like always on a pain scale of one to 10. It was like a two. So it's manageable, but there every time I squat and finally it went to like a four and I was like I need to figure something out so we started doing box squats so I wouldn't go below parallel which has given me like the time it needs to recover because I can still load heavy but I, that like past parallel position is yeah. is just killing me so but I need to address what's actually going on I go to the PT flares up feels better flares up yeah um, yeah I do my knee cars all the time yeah yeah Good. please I, we should do some more knee stuff yeah totally yeah. i mean that's you know there's there's a few components i think that kind of lead us down that road of like 
not having a really acute injury, but like just all of a sudden you're like, every time I squat deep, my knees kill me now. Every time I squat deep, my back goes out, whatever that is. I mean, our, our bodies are these amazing compensation machines where, you know, your, your body's not going to go, Scott, you don't have enough tibial internal rotation <laughs> to get this deep in a squat. Like I do not operate in this many degrees of flexion because of that. Right. Your body goes, cool. We're squatting today. Let's fucking do this. I will do this for you. And it will keep doing it until stuff starts to fall apart. Like it just lets you cash checks that there isn't money in the account for. And at some point it does catch up with you. And that could be young. It could take a long time. I mean, that's, that's just how it goes. So it is really easy to do that stuff for a long time. The other, oh, and the other component is like just the pain thing, you know, like I think about all the years that I trained where thinking that a little bit of pain was me making progress. Like I'm, a, right. I'm working to the point of pain. So clearly like I will get better from that because everybody right. knows pain is weakness leaving the body, but really our body has a, a wonderful alarm system to tell you like, I think I can do this and it's going to be good. I, or this is going to cause problems. And a lot of the time it's like just a little indication that something's off. Like, like you said, like if I squat this deep, normally it's like a two on a 10 scale. It's clearly not enough pain that I need to stop because it's not, it's like, Oh my God, I can't do this. But that's at least that tissue is going, I don't work here. I can't do this. And it will just let you keep doing that until it does start to get worse. And then at some point you're like, Holy fuck. Now it's a six out of 10. I can't do this at all. Right. Um, yeah. So I like, you know, in my coaching clients, you know, like there's a lot of discussion when we're doing stuff, like, I don't want this to be a 0.5 pain. I want this to be zero. And if it's not zero, we have to adjust that position until we get to zero, because that's going to tell us where can we work and make progress? We're breaking these compensations. We're building up capacity or where are we just causing more inflammation and more dysfunction? That's a big, a big component there. Awesome. Yeah, I, I want to talk about something that all all people that lift weights are going to disagree with me unless you do CrossFit. Yes, let's talk about cardio and strength. Oh, and cardio! I oh, did. we all know, man. Cardio will ruin your strength. <laughs> I know. My squat goes yeah. down twenty kilos every time I run. Um, totally. I mean, uh, that's such a good question. I can tell you that for many, many years, I was a firm believer that. If you did cardio, you would ruin your strength gains. hundred percent. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know shit, but that's what I thought. I was, sure. I was very convinced of that. And you, you know, depending on the circles that you uh, go read on the interwebs, you'll definitely find that's still a pretty common trend. And totally. It's really yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we talk about like zone two cardio, you know, I know you're into that. And, and in my approach to training now, like I tell everybody, you need good functioning joints and tissue and you need some aerobic fitness. And I'm not talking about doing high intensity conditioning and intervals and all that shit. You need that very little. And if you want to do that, that's cool. But the best way to get better at that stuff, the best way to get more effective strength training, a better way to get better sleep, you know, to have more energy throughout the day is to do aerobic conditioning. And Sure, you could do enough aerobic conditioning that it would interfere with your strength training gains because our body definitely, you know, it, it likes to have a specific stimulus and then adapt to that stimulus. And we don't want right. to throw too many things at it. But that being said, like developing a, a reasonable threshold hold of aerobic conditioning, if you're doing it the right way, is only going to enhance your strength training gains and not take it away. And your aerobic capacity is probably like the most scientifically studied thing in regard regard right. to longevity so like if you want to live longer do some fucking zone two cardio please do some <laughs> zone two cardio just wear a heart rate monitor what's yeah. okay what's uh i let's say i don't want to buy a heart rate monitor uh get what's my what's my weekly regimen of 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 cardio that's a great question as well um you know like i tell everybody that if you need like a super minimal effective dose like you need to get at least two days a week, three is probably better of at least 30 minutes. There's definitely people out there that push more than that. And I mean, you know, like looking at the best endurance athletes in the world, like the way that they increase their capacity is by upping the volume on that, on that, um, aerobic zone training. But, um, Joel Jameson is a really, really good resource for the stuff. He's, he's really well known in the conditioning world. He works with some unbelievably high level athletes. He's, he's a, you know, basically a guru when it comes to this kind of training. 
you know, he says like three days a week for 30 minutes is kind of a really good minimal effective dose. Uh, I can say firsthand, that's what I, I adhere to because I don't, I like cardio more now because I've been doing it for a few years, really consistently. Um, but my progress, like strength training wise, and just how I feel and my ability to recover has gone up so much that I will never, ever remove that from my training, no matter what. Um, and it's also nice just from having, like, I get three days a week of really moderate training that doesn't feel hard. That's like just very casual. And I feel really good from it. Um, you know, so 30 minutes, 30 minutes, okay. three days a week is really good. I would at least do that. You know, it all depends on your schedule. You know, when I was saying before, like, yes, there's ways where you could implement cardiovascular training that could deter from your strength training. Like we really push following a high, high intensity, low intensity schedule. And that you could apply different stuff in those high intensity days. Like maybe that is high intensity conditioning, but if you have a high intensity day, the next day should be low intensity recovery work. So like what I do personally is I have, I do a hard strength training day and I, I only have those 90 minutes. So I make it really, really hard. Of course, according to whatever my current capacity is and things that I need to work on. But on those days that I train hard, I make sure I train hard. The next day I do zone two recovery, recovery conditioning and zone two, for those of you who don't know, it is generally keeping your heart rate between 60 and 80% of your maximal heart rate. And there's different ways to figure that out. You know, we can do the really simple equation, which is take 220 minus your age. That tells you what your max is. Then you figure out the percentages based on that. There's really easy ways to test it too. There's lots of stuff out there on the internet. Jill Jamison has a really good program. Um, I highly recommend that if you want to get into some more, just get more depth into your, uh, your cardio training, but you know, following that program, like for example, I used to check my heart rate variability every day. That was a big thing. And mm -hmm. I would yeah. entirely train based on my HRV. Um, I stopped doing that one just because I, I just have like adherence issues. Like when I decide that I'm going to do something, I have to do it every single day. And if I don't mm -hmm. do it, it causes me lots of stress and anxiety. So way, like, yeah. My fucking heart rate monitor wouldn't connect to my phone. I would get pissed off about it. And I would like make sure that I just messed with it until I got it to work. And by that time I'd be so worked up that I'd check my HRV and it'd be like, you're in a terrible state of recovery. You need to not do any training today. And I'd be mad about that. So it was like, mentally, I have issues with that. What can I say? But I can say the progress that I've made in the way that I feel has easily been as good, if not better, just following that high-low program okay. as opposed to like only training on those hard days. Totally. Um, I had something else to say about that. Oh, I was going to say, I did a really, uh, when I was training back in California, I had a bunch of uh, really competitive strongman friends and we would go lift weights together and do strongman training. And uh, these are all way bigger boys than me and way stronger, but we did a little test because I would always tell them like, you guys like, they would go do a yoke walk, you know, and then have to spend like seven minutes laying on the ground, huffing and puffing. It's like, you know, if you had a little better aerobic fitness, like you would recover faster. And they're like, Oh, it's bullshit. Like it's going to limit our strength gains. And I was like, no, let me, let me break it down for you. So I kind of, I just told him like, if you were more aerobically fit, it just in increases your recovery capacity across the board. So like, if I'm more efficient at using oxygen, that means if I'm doing a high intensity workout, I get my heart rate up. All I have to do is stop for a moment and I recover. And because when we're, when we're not aerobically trained, it, it's easy to get your heart rate up and then it stays up for a long time after you stop. Better aerobic training means it takes a lot more work to get your heart rate up and it goes down really fast. So that just means more work capacity. So we did a little test. We had a hundred foot long strip of turf. We set up a farmer's carry 200 pounds each hand, which 200 pounds in each hand for me is it's more than double body weight. Like I was the smallest dude there. And that's, that's, you know, my farmer's carry is not a whole lot more than that. Um, these guys though, that's, that's lightweight for them. I mean, these were guys who have 600 plus farmers carries 300 per hand is like not their max by any means. And we set a clock for two minutes and we did a test who can get the most distance accumulated with 400 pounds in those two minutes. And I weigh like 190 pounds. These, the smallest guy next to me was like 230 and up to one dude was 300 pounds. And I, in those two minutes, I got almost 400 feet on the farmer's carry where the next highest dude got like just under 200 feet. And it was because I could carry that thing. And granted, it was heavier for me, but I could set it down. I could shake my hands out and take a couple breaths and pick it up and go again, where those guys would be out for 20 to 30 seconds before they could pick it back up. And afterwards, they were like, holy shit, man, that's crazy. And I was like, this is just your example of like increasing your aerobic capacity not to the point where you're doing it every single day. You know, I'm not saying that you should go do your heavy strength training and then do cardio on top of that. Cause that's a, not a very effective way, but just 
break that shit up, have a cardio day. That's easy recovery. Have your strength training day, alternate totally. your body does really well with that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. We would, um, when I raced road bikes, uh, they would the, some like getting ready for a race. We would do hit hill interval sprints that were like 10 to 15 minutes, but we do like oh, five yeah. of them. And then the, we would, we, yeah, we, yeah, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> and, uh, we would time how fast we could get to zone one heart rate from oh, yeah. like zone four. It's like, you're like working in lactic acid threshold rate and then stop, turn around, descend the hill, and then just be timing. Like how fast can I get into that zone one? It was really interesting. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, the Joel Jameson stuff, you know, there's a lot of components like that. Like one, um, there's a, a more accurate way to test where your aerobic zones are, but there's like a, the, the recovery test is a big one. That was something at our gym in California. We, everybody who took conditioning classes, I mean, you could opt out of the testing, but that was our, every three months we would do testing, testing your heart rate recovery. So we would do, um, I'm totally, why am I spacing on the name? It's a really classic test from the military, like the 12 minute run, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's going to drive me nuts. I apologize. <laughs> anybody who's listening. I just, brain fart, not enough coffee today, but anyway, it's, it's a 12 minute, generally a running test. We didn't have a really good distance for running though. So we would use machines, but we just have people stay consistent. Like we'd, we'd use the bike at this gear. You're going to go max distance in 12 minutes. And then at that 12 minute mark, we're going to check what your max heart rate got to. And then we're going to test your heart rate recovery over 60 seconds and then 120 seconds. And over time, the goal was to improve that score, right? Like maybe you got your heart rate higher, but also how much was your heart rate able to recover in that two minute period? That's a really, really good baseline test for testing your aerobic capacity because people who aren't aerobically fit one, their heart rate just stays up really, really high for a long mm -hmm. time, or it's hard to sustain that high heart rate. Whereas you get better aerobic conditioning, then your heart rate might get really high for a moment, but it drops a huge amount over that two minute score. So you, what you want are the two minute tests. So you just want a bigger number of your heart rate to drop over those two minutes, but that's a really good one. And then also just doing like specific zone training, like being able to control those, like we would do intervals of training in zone two, and then we go to zone three and hold zone four and then come back to zone two and alternate stuff mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. There's some really, there's so many ways to do it, but that's, that's some of the Joel Jamison stuff, which has been that's awesome. cool. And like yeah. for people that want to, go run that don't uh, that don't want to buy a heart rate monitor like what I when I go and run or whatever for the 20 to 30 minutes like it's like a like a I can still talk like I'd still have a conversation you know it's yeah. like slight yeah. breathlessness um or I just go like pure I, this is crazy but I know you love this is like pure nose breathing and if I can't maintain the nose breathing then I'm going too fast and yeah I mean who's the who's the author of that book breathe Do you know? uh james nestor yeah yes everybody should just go read that book like <laughs> if you breathe through your mouth just stop just start breathing through your nose and then just trust me <laughs> trust scott just breathe through your nose for everything you'll be so much better um yeah i mean like I, I, a lot of the time what we do in the gym, especially with running and granted, like I could go down the rabbit hole of like, maybe why, if you are not exercising now, starting with running is maybe not the best choice just because mm. there's, I think a lot of people think about running as like, this is something that everybody should do. This is a really good introduction into exercise. Whereas mm. like running has some super gnarly demands on your ankles, your knees and hips, your foot function, like the kind of footwear that you run and all that stuff. I, we get a lot of people who run and it kills them, but they just want to do their cardio. So they have yeah. to run There's so many other ways to get your heart rate up. You know, when I have people who want to run and they don't have a heart rate monitor, I tell them like, I, I want you to check your heart rate every minute. I mean, honestly, like when we would like in our gym, we would do heart rate monitored conditioning and we always had to have this really hard conversation with people that, you know, on the days that we're doing aerobic training, the only way that you get better at your aerobic capacity is to train in those zones. Mm -hmm. So if you are not aerobically fit, it means it takes very little activity for your heart rate to go up and then it stays up for a long time, which really means that in this workout, you're going to spend a lot of time standing around because I don't want you to be in those higher heart rate zones. Same thing with running. Like when I started running again, um, I was terrible. I mean, I had to do, I would do like run two blocks. My heart rate would go up into the anaerobic zone. 
And then I'd have to do like the hilarious, like old person shuffle or just walk. And my heart rate would be up there forever. So I would spend all this time stopping, starting, stopping, starting. So somebody without a heart rate monitor, I try to use those opportunities as like, go up until you feel your heart rate go up a little bit and then stop. And I want you just to count your heart rate for 10 seconds. And this is what that, that count should be within if you're in your aerobic zone. So, you know, if you figure out that 60 to 80% threshold, figure out what like 78% is and divide that number by six. And that'll tell you how many beats you should be going through in 10 seconds. Cause that's pretty easy to watch. You just hold your timer up and watch the clock go by 10 seconds, count your heart rate. And then you can at least try to stay below that number because I think that's the biggest mistake people make when they're trying to do aerobic training is that if you're not aerobically fit, it's so easy to get out of that aerobic zone. And most of the time, especially if you've been exercising a little bit, you get used to that feeling where it doesn't feel like right. so bad that you have to stop. I mean, what I thought was a low threshold of exercise for me, it was like, actually I was at 87% and that just felt comfortable. Not that CrossFit right. helped with that. Cause I got way more comfortable in those high heart rates. In those high, Yeah, exactly. Which is yeah, um, I mean, almost dangerous. Cause it's like, you just, you like living in there and you're not. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, like aerobic training. The cool thing about that, if you're in those aerobic zones is that your body's main concern there is becoming more efficient at using oxygen. As soon as you peak out of that aerobic threshold, your body's main concern is mitigating the stress from that high intensity Mm -hmm. activity. So, you know, I think about all the years that I did hard CrossFit, you know, it was like every day, my only focus is like this workout needs to be a fucking bloodbath. And that's a good workout for me all that really does is increase that stress dose and it makes you more comfortable being in those high heart rate zones, but it doesn't really make you adapt more. I mean, it's kind of like if I have a knee that doesn't function like a knee, all the squats in the world aren't going to make my knee better. And long-term is going to cause some problems. If I'm only doing high intensity activity, I'm essentially just piling on stress and I'm never giving my body better tools to adapt to that stress. Right. I'm probably lessening that over time. Right. So it's, sorry, the, the computer just said it was gonna die. Sorry. Oh, no worries, dude. Get that plug um, in there. Yeah, I know. Before, because it, it goes when you're recording, it goes down quick. Um, I know, right? So before, I want to be. I know you have a lot of stuff to do today. I want to be mindful every oh, time. Oh, you're all good, dude. Um, Having a great time. Awesome, awesome. Uh, what are the best? I always like asking people this. Like, let's say over the last five years. I know one of them is probably cardio and mouth, uh, not mouth breathing, nose breathing. What are like the most important changes you've made in your life to help with like overall health fitness? Like for me, it's ice baths, saunas, taping my mouth shut when I sleep, like these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure, nasal breathing and doing zone two cardio, like those have really helped just in my overall, like daily, the way my energy feels throughout the day, I just have a much better, I mean, honestly, like when we're not working out, we're relying on our aerobic system for energy. And if our aerobic system's a turd, we're relying on our anaerobic system, which is not a very efficient system. Like humans almost more so than any other mammal probably are aerobic. We're aerobic creatures. Like there's no other, there's no other form of species that will hunt something using exhaustion right like there's places where we hunt by chasing an animal until the fucking animal can't run anymore and it just lays down and then waits to be killed like clearly like we've evolved to use this aerobic system a lot um but i i'd say at the very very tippy top of that even more important than the cardio and all that stuff for me has just been implementing functional range conditioning i mean for my own body 100 like i i feel significantly better than i did 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, I was 18. Like I had stuff that hurt my knee. Like I used to lifeguard. I would, if I sat with my knee bent for a few hours, my knee would blow up like a balloon. I mean, like I had, I had issues as a young person, which I think a lot of the time we don't think that young people should have those issues, but you know, from a very early age, we start, we start creating these patterns of movement where we just don't use enough of our joints for our body to maintain that stuff. So we can have, I mean, we get people all the time who are young, who have lots of issues like that. Um, and that stuff, just that, just a really a different approach to training. Like, is my body ready to do this? Is this going to be good for me? Or is my body not going to be ready to do this? Because before I was never a consideration. I never thought about how my shoulder felt, you know, if my shoulder hurt a little bit, I just thought like, I'll just do a couple more sets and get more warmed up and it will be fine. Like, so it's been a really different approach for training, but also for our business. I mean, implementing functional range conditioning is like, 
you know, the certs are kind of expensive. They're 12, 1200 bucks, 1500 wow. bucks for a certification. But like looking back on what that's done for our business, if I had to pay $10,000 for one of those certifications, I would, I wouldn't even hesitate to spend that money just because we've never used anything that actually resolves people's problems. You know, mm. my, I started doing this, I quit my corporate job and in 2000, the very beginning of 2010. So it's been 11 years over those 11 years. Um, in the earlier years, the only option was like, here's a list of things that are, don't hurt you. We'll do those. Here's a list of things that we know hurt you. We're never, ever going to do those. And mm -hmm. that's how we train. Right. So it's just this constant avoidance, but even avoiding those things, almost always some of those off limit things, oh, yeah. they just create those problems creep back into the stuff that we were doing. Whereas doing functional range conditioning, you know, we have people who are like, my shoulder has hurt for 20 years and now it doesn't hurt. Like, that's amazing. Like it's the only thing that's resolved people's people's shit. Like this, this was literally the best way to get you to do what you want to do and feel good. Um, and that, that to me is like, that's, that's by far the best part of our job. That's the most valuable thing that we could have ever done is get into awesome. functional range conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you can't break your training partners, right? Like you, if it's better for business, if you have people that are healthy longer term, right. Cause <laughs> they can oh, keep man. paying yeah, their I mean, bills I and they want to come back. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, really like from, from a gym business, like you really only make money, whether you're a personal trainer or you have a gym by getting your people to come back with, you know, with the exception of like 24 hour fitness. I mean, there sure. is that specific business model where you get people to drop their money and then pay such a low monthly cost that they never want to cancel. If you get enough people that, that works, but it's not great. You're not really helping people, yeah, right? Providing you're, just value, like, right? you're just like skimming money off of their bank account where they're not aware of it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can do something that really makes somebody feel better and lets them do more stuff, like you'll get repeat business. And that is, totally. that is invaluable for sure. Awesome. And, uh, to wrap up, where can people find you? Um, oh. like, what do you, if you want to go through like, uh, your Instagram and basis health and performance yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, my name on Instagram is just uh, Strange Grayson. That's my last name, S-T-R-A-N-G-E. You can just type in Grayson Strange, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, S-T-R-A-N-G-E. Um, that's all my training and some, you know, the way I think we, way I like to implement training. Um, but the name of our business is Basis Health and Performance. Uh, we had a gym in California, which we sold our shares to our uh, business partner. So there's Basis Health and Performance California. Our gym is in New York. So we're Basis Health and Performance New York. The Instagram handle is basis NY. Um, and we do, we do a lot of different stuff. So we have online programs through train heroic. We have a kin stretch program. That's four new classes a week. There's a full length class. There's a half hour class and then two joint specific classes. And there's a library of all the classes. So you have access to a ton of stuff. Um, we have a strength program and then we also have a conditioning program that works through various intensities, aerobic training and high intensity stuff. And you can kind of plug and play based on how often you want to train. Uh, outside of that, we have a gym. If you're in New York, you can come train with us at our gym at our house. And uh, we also do a lot of online one-on-one -on -one coaching and online individualized programming. So we do, I do assessments over the phone where we can, you know, make your hip work better. Or if you have specific training goals to do certain things, I can help you do that. And uh, my wife and I both do that. Her name is Sarah Strange. Uh, she's also on Instagram, although a little less active than I am, but she's on the, the basis page. So if you have questions about any of moving better, feeling better, all that stuff, please reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for hanging out today. Ah, I know dude, you have a lot to do. Thanks for having me, man. No, it's Always. okay. It was totally a pleasure. You know, as no matter how busy I am, I love talking about this stuff and I, I really like talking to you. So this was, awesome. this was thanks, sweet. Man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah, of course. Well, have a great rest of your day and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. Yeah, man. It'll be a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Cool. See you, man. Yeah, dude. All right.